All right, everybody doing good? Everything awesome? Okay, cool. Is the live stream going well? Okay. If you are streaming live with us, would you please give us a thumbs up? Um, sorry for the technical issues. We had a camera malfunction. And so if you didn't basically tune out with us after we had to switch from a camera to a phone, uh, it's appreciated. And so we are basically working through our the last week of our series going over uh, the values of collision. And like we said the past couple of weeks, we're basically just taking a, technically we're taking a small break from Max just to refresh ourselves on our values. Um, in January, we'll go over our, our DNA uh, in January. And so we're just, like we said, just taking a small break from Max kind of uh, to go through the values of collision. And so for everybody who has chosen to say nothing Whenever this typos, you're allowed to say something. I find it bizarre that, Rosie, how old are you? 10, a 10 year old is the only person who knows how to form a sentence. So that's just fantastic. All right, so just a real quick refresher that we've been doing this for the past um, few weeks. We're just gonna run through our mission, vision, values, and DNA real quick. And so the mission of Collision is that we exist so more people will know and be known uh, by Jesus. And so our vision, which is a part of our mission, which is our vision is we exist to be a community of people so soaked in the gospel that others are drawn in and their lives are changed by the gospel, which we just uh, prayed about before Nico came up and led us in worship. And our values, the, which we've gone over for the past few weeks, we're covering the last one today, is that we exist to grow in gospel-centered community. We exist to be an advocate for justice and compassion for those in need. Uh, we exist to connect to the culture, and we exist to be a church-planning church. Our DNA, which we'll go over in January, is um, we basically desire to be a people of hospitality, people about reconciliation, a people about multiplication, and a people about uh, compassion. And so today we're covering our final value, which is we exist to be a church planning church. What vehicle was that? EMS, okay. All right, so real quick, we're going to stop and we're going to pray for them really fast and whoever it is that they're going to go uh, serve and care for. All right, uh, so Lord, once again, we're just thankful for this day, uh, but we just want to take a quick moment to stop what we're doing and basically uh, just uh, pray for the EMS crew and wherever it is they're going, whatever house it is, building, uh, you know where they're headed to. And so uh, we just pray that um, uh, they are just uh, basically calm, level-headed, and uh, that they just go in there. They don't forget everything that they've learned, they, everything that you've allowed them to to learn everything that you've allowed them to absorb. We just pray that basically they're, they're on top of it and that they're able to just uh, serve the whoever it is they're going to go serve and that they're able to um, just, they've been equipped to handle uh, this situation. And so we just pray for wisdom, we pray for guidance, we pray for healing, and um, we just uh, pray that you're basically, you're, we just trust and know that you are in control and uh, we celebrate that and we just um, are praying that they are able to go there and. Uh, just uh, provide provide healing and that they are uh, just able to do um, what it is that you've called them to do, what you've equipped them to do. And um, we ultimately just, we just pray for healing, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so like I said, we're going over our last value, which is to be a church planning uh, church. And so um, we're just basically digging into the scriptures to see what it says about church planning. And so um, even though like the scriptures don't ever use the word church planning, uh, but in the scriptures we see numerous times whenever churches are planted. 
And so we see where God basically sends people to various different cities at different places to go and basically plant a church, to establish a church. And so our, the hope is while we're going through, uh, through, through here today is that we will basically um, see uh, church planting and that we'll understand that church planting is not what some people call as trendy, uh, but it's something that is most definitely a biblical, it's a biblical thing. And God sends his people to go uh, do church planting. And so while it is hard for us to imagine with some churches, especially the older ones, every church that we see has been a church plant in one way or another. Um, they may go about it different ways, they may have different ideas on how to do it, but every church ultimately is a church plant. Even the one that you see with the historic plaque that says it was started in 1851, like that church was ultimately a church plant at one point or another. And ultimately, uh, we want to know here that there's a huge difference between a church plant and a church uh, split. Um, one of them is a, is a healthy thing that God sends people to do, and another one is ultimately a bunch of bitter people who are mad that the, they, use cho- they use chairs instead of pews, they use carpet instead of flooring or whatever it is. Those are church splits, and they're not church plants. Um, that's ultimately, a church split is just ultimately petty people who are mad they didn't get their way about everything. A church plant is sent by God to reach people. And so even though we are taking a break from Acts, um, we're going to be in Acts 18 today. Um, it's kind of hard to not to talk about church planning and not basically uh, be an ax. And so even though I believe uh, we, as we've been going through Acts, we're at the very beginning of Acts, uh, we're basically going to jump ahead like 10 or something chapters and look at Acts 18 for a minute um, because ultimately Acts is filled with uh, church planning. And so we're going to start off in verse 1 and we're going to slowly work our, ourselves uh, through verse uh, 17. And so chapter uh, eight, Acts chapter 18, verse 1 says shortly, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And we've covered Paul in Athens in chapter 17 numerous times. Uh, that's when uh, Paul basically goes into uh, the city filled with pagans and statues and that kind of thing and goes to the area of Pegasus and makes the, a, a case for the, the gospel. And some people mock him, some people don't. Um, there's a lot in chapter 17 about uh, being in the culture and engaging the culture, knowing the people that you're going on mission to go serve and take the gospel to. And so if you choose to be refreshed on chapter 17, that's a great passage to go and look at. Um, but right now we're in 18 after Paul leaves Athens. And so uh, after this, Paul le- left Athens and went to Corinth. And so um, Paul's going to like a city called Corinth. If Corinth sounds familiar, uh, it's because there's two letters in the Bible called 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. People in Corinth were called Corinthians. And Corinth was about 50 miles away from Athens. And so Paul, as we said, went from Athens to Corinth. And so a little bit about Corinth and what it is. Um, it's actually a very fascinating city. Uh, Corinth was a capital city. Um, it was a remarkably prosperous city. Um, during the days of the New Testament, it was the equivalent of like L.A. or New York City. Um, Corinth was filled with military veterans, a lot of business people, government officials. And Corinth is, is known for being a, like a remarkably uh, pagan city. Um, they've worshipped various many uh, dead gods. And um, that was what they were about. That was, there was a lot of pride in that city about that. Um, Corinth was a, was a port city. And so because it was a poor city, it was easy for it to be a trade city that was bringing in like lots of boats over and over again, which brought in business, which brought in product. And Corinth was a city filled with, norm- with numerous ideas. A lot of new ideas about just culture and city and government and everything, a lot of that would come out of Corinth. 
And because of the city that Corinth is, there was a remarkable amount of tourism. It was a city that loved and valued a lot of education. A lot of media during the days of the New Testament would take place in Corinth. And a lot of like food and gardening and ideas and culinary and medication, like all that kind of stuff, everything was in Corinth. Corinth was, was a remarkably large city for its day, about 200,000 people. And so like everything went down in Corinth. Um, everything that you want and kind of hope for for a city, education, military, media, food, medication, trade, business, everything that you'd want for a city was going on in Corinth. Uh, but there was also a lot of really a lot of bad things about uh, about Corinth. Um, there was a lot of drunkenness. Uh, they were known for strip clubs. Um, they were known for a lot of really weird sexual activity. Um, like there was a lot of like interesting, weird, and bad and negative things that went into Corinth, along with all the good stuff we just said. Um, when people would go out at night, there was a slogan that w was known in Corinth that was like, we're, go we're going to Corinthianize when they would go out at night, and you can just kind of like use your imagination for that. Um, and some of these weird, these weird activities that we're talking about, Paul addresses in one of his letters to the Corinthians because a lot of that stuff had infiltrated the church. And so, um, so with as remarkable of a city as Corinth it was, it was also a very like, morally destructive city at the same time. Um, and so, like, this is the city that the apostle chose to, like, chose to go to. Like, he went to Corinth, like, on purpose. It wasn't an accident. Uh, he didn't get shipwrecked, shipwrecked and just, like, end up on shore there. Like, he went to Corinth, like, on purpose. And so when he goes and leaves Athens to go to Corinth, he knows what he's doing. He knows where he's going to. He knows the culture. He knows the city. He knows what they value. He knows everything that's going on there. And so we're going to get into verses 2 through 4 real quick. And it says in verse 2, sorry, Nico. Uh, and he found a Jew named Aquila and a native of Pontius recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Okay, so... Uh, because our plan is to work our way all the way through Acts, and we'll go backwards next week and work our way back this direction, uh, Qu uh, Quilla and Priscilla are names that uh, we'll hopefully become like really familiar with. And so like their name is littered throughout Acts. Uh, you, you read about Priscilla and Aquila in Romans. You read about Priscilla and Aquila in uh, one of the letters to Tim like Second Timothy. Um, and so like they become really really close with uh, the Apostle Paul, and they join him on missionary journeys. They join him in missionary work. Like they become really really tight with Paul. And so part of that is because they were they were known for being remarkably hospitable. Um, they were known for opening their, their house and allowing for meetings and all sorts of stuff. Uh, Quill and Priscilla basically set the standard for hospitality, and the, which is one of the reasons why we read about hospitality in our DNA for a collision, and which is one of the, re one of the things that have kind of uh, inspired Emily and I for how basically we try to hopefully live our lives and how we try to open up our home and how we desire to always be uh, hospitable. Um, because of what we read in the scriptures about hospitality with Paul, Priscilla, Aquila, and, and, many, and other things as well, um, it's why we try to make sure that there's always a key available to our house. We open it up for people to do laundry. We basically live our lives in our home with an open-door policy. Uh, we've been allowed numerous people to sleep over. We've allowed people to come over to study, use our Wi-Fi, just basically have a spare room available to cook and do whatever it is anybody needs. 
Like that's how we've always desired to work hard to basically live because of what we see like in the scriptures, because of what we read with, about Paul, Priscilla, Aquila, and many other things in the scriptures. Like that's, how's, what's, that's what's inspired us to hopefully live um, our lives. And so because of what we read about hospitality in the scriptures, like we work hard to basically live a, basically a kingdom-driven life, which is a hospital life. And we desire, like we see in the scriptures, to ultimately live a radical life with, with, with what God has basically ultimately loaned to us. And so in trying to have like that kingdom mindset and trying to, desiring to be hospital like we see in the scriptures, um, we understand that basically our house and everything that we have is basically loaned to us by God for the furthering of his gospel and for the spreading like, of his kingdom. And so Aquila and Priscilla, a couple of Paul, ultimately become Paul's close friends, were known for their hospitality. They're known for opening up their home. They're just, they're known for, they're just known, they were known for a lot. And so, like, there's a reason we see so much of that in, in the scriptures. And so, also right here, we see the, that Paul was a tent maker, and Priscilla and Aquila were ultimately uh, tent makers. And so, them along with Paul, right here in Corinth, basically are bivocational missionaries. Paul is a bivocational apostle. And so he would make tents to help him basically fund his ministry. Not, it didn't fund his ministry alone, but it ultimately funded his ministry. So he would work during the week making tents or building tents. And during the Sabbath, he would go and minister like in the synagogue. And so basically we see Paul basically doing bivocational. He has, because of his life here, uh, sometimes like within Christian circles, you'll hear people talk about having your tent making business. Um, but ultimately he was like, he was a really busy dude. And so, like, for me, for example, I don't, obviously, I don't make tents, uh, but, like, I try to make websites on the side and do all that kind of stuff to help fund Emily and I while we're ultimately planning a church uh, here in Alpine. And so while Paul is going to Corinth to plant a church, we see him basically getting a team together, and we see him basically having a bivocational gig to allow him to make money, and we see him doing ministry whenever he can available. And so we're literally looking at the, the beginnings of a church plant in Corinth. And so verses 5 through 6 say that when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they, when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And so this is, this is kind of cool. And so uh, Silas and Timothy show up. And we know from other scriptures that when Silas and, Timothy, Silas and Timothy show up here, we know from other scriptures that they basically showed up with a gift from a church in Macedonia. And so that gift was apparently a remarkable like, financial uh, gift. And so when, they get, when, Paul gets, when they bring that gift to Paul, like basically here's, here's basically the money that Macedonia gave. gave. Uh, Paul is able to slow down on the tent making and focus more on preaching the gospel and basically doing ministry. And so, so at this moment, he gets bolder, basically, with the gospel. He spends more time uh, with preaching the gospel. And basically, he basically is freed up from the amount of time he hasn't spent working to focus on doing basically intentional ministry and preaching and the kind of stuff that we think of when we think of uh, ministry. And so verse 6, verse six is, in verse 6, it sounds like Paul basically gets jumped because he basically says he's like, he basically, what is, it, what is the word for word? Um, he shook out his garments. And when, he, when you think about him shaking out his garments, you think about him getting up off the ground and basically like cleaning himself off. Uh, but when he shakes off his garment, it was basically it was a cultural expression that basically was like, I'm wiping my hands clean with you, like he says. 
And so he's like, I'm done with y'all. Y'all are basically being ridiculous. Y'all are hostile to this message. I'm not going to waste my time anymore. And then he says, he's like, I will go to the Gentiles, which is, which is really, really important. And so when he, when he goes to the Gentiles, what it means is that he's intentionally taking the gospel to uh, basically the, 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 the pagan culture that we had just talked about. And so when Paul goes into the synagogue, he's, he's going to the people he's familiar with. He's going to, because Paul is a Jew, and he used to always be in the synagogue. He used to always be about the old covenants. He used to hate Christ and would go around basically murdering people who worship Christ. So he stepped away from that and was trying to take the gospel to basically the people that he had a heart to because he could understand or could, he related uh, to them. He understood what it was like. He could speak their language and that kind of thing. But because they got so hostile to him, he's like, I'm just going to go to the Gentiles. I'm, I'm done with y'all. Y'all's life is on y'all's is not on me. It's like I'm going to the Gentiles. And so what we see Paul doing is he's taking it to the gospel to a different culture. He's taking it to the people who ultimately you would think would be hostile to him. Um, he's taking it to the people who don't share his moral values. They don't share his ideology. Um, the people who uh, his lifestyle like he he dis- he's not about. He could, basically he speaks against. He judges. Like he's taking the gospel to the people who don't look or act or do anything like him. Like this is really, this is really big. This is important uh, because what Paul's doing is he's planting a church, uh, going to the people, going to the Gentiles, going to the pagans. He's not going there looking for other Christians. He's not going there for people who share his theology. He's not doing any of that. But he's basically he's going to the Gentiles, going to the pagans, going to the non-Christians, going to those who are not the, viewed as the religious of his day. Like it's really important, and it's easy to look past that. But it's it's I cannot like I just don't know how to say like it's really it's like you can't ignore that. And so it says in verse seven and eight, and he left there and went to the house of a man named named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Okay, so this is, this is really cool, too. Like, I don't have the time to go into, like, all the historical context of what's going on here. Um, but ultimately, what we see happening is Paul is basically leaving the synagogue. He's like, I'm done preaching the gospel there. Like, I'm, I'm not wasting my time with you all anymore. Um, we see that Paul is assembling a core team right here. And this is the first house that becomes the first meeting place for the church in Corinth. And so this is where we see the church starting to go into the house. This is where we see the idea of house church coming about. Um, this is where we see the, the, the gospel, like, going to the Gentiles. No, they're no longer wasting themselves, in this, wasting their time in the synagogue. Uh, Paul is assembling a core team. Like, we're... We're seeing like everything that you think about when you see a church starting, we're seeing it happen like right here, like in Acts 18. Um, they're going into a house, they're meeting basically in a living room, gathering around in like a circle, like they're reading the scriptures, they're preaching, they're worshiping together. Um, some of the people like have led, left the synagogue after, like after Paul, like one of the leaders of the synagogue left and basically followed Paul to that house, which is actually pretty awesome. Um, and so like we're also seeing that Paul start to take the gospel to the Gentiles, uh, people who know nothing about Christ. And so like some really cool things are happening in verse 18. That's really, in verse 18, chapter 18, that's really easy for us to like just gloss over and overlook. Um, and so like we said that Paul's establishing a core team, but what we see here happening is like this is kind of where collision gets a lot of our values from. So much of our values is found in chapter 18. Um, we, see, we see Paul establishing, creating, and growing a gospel-centered community. And so Collision says that we're about, it's cre- about, 
we're, being, we're about growing in gospel-centered community. Paul is doing that right here. And what we see in chapter 18 as we, as we follow through it and we go throughout the entire book of Acts is Paul creates gospel-centered community with people who are not like him, that are not like-minded with like him at all, that don't, that don't that understand anything about his theology, that don't understand anything about any of his ideologies, whether it be theological, whether it be political, whether it be his moral values, his moral compass, like none of that at all. Like he doesn't, that's not a precursor for how he takes the gospel to people. He takes the gospel to people who, are, who need it, who are desperate to it. And he creates and establishes gospel-centered community by just doing the work that God has called him to do. And so we talked about gospel-centered community uh, four weeks ago today. And so like we see that idea right here like in the scriptures. And so one of the things that we say over and over again is the values that we have for the, for the church are not ideas that we've, we've created ourselves that we're trying to cr- get you to buy into. But what we have are values that we found in the scriptures about the church, about God's people that we have taken from the scriptures and we're planting a church through what we see like in the scriptures. And so it's really cool here because we see a community like being established. We're seeing it growing from, the, from its earliest ages. Um, and so like, so what we see Paul doing here is basically at every cost is he's growing community and he's growing community for the good of the gospel. He's growing community for the spreading of the gospel and he's ultimately growing community for the furthering of the kingdom. Even in a remarkably like anti-Christian pagan city uh, with, those, with those people. And which is really, really awesome. And so we said a few, uh, the, the, when we're going through Acts at the very beginning, um, that the, 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 the Christian message, message, the Christian gospel, is the most like, inclusive and accepting message that there actually is in, in, the, in the world throughout all of humanity. Every, every religious ideology, everything out there, the, the Christian, the gospel, the Christian message, is the most inclusive and welcoming message that there actually is. Um, so many times we call it like offensive, and it, and it is for certain reasons. But the Christian, the Christian message is the only thing that says, um, basically, is the only thing where we see that God says, basically, I'm taking you right now. I'm taking you as you are. You don't have to change. You don't have to do anything. You, nothing about you changes. I'm going to grab you. I'm going to snatch you up because of my own will, because of my own power, because of my own sovereignty, because of my own mercy, because of my own grace. And I'm going to take you as you are, and I am going to transform you like that's the most remarkably inclusive accepting message that there is and like we see paul acting that out as a missionary in corinth because he's basically he's like i'm going to go to the gentiles i'm going to go to the pagans and i'm going to take the gospel to them they haven't changed they haven't done anything they haven't nobody has done anything to deserve this message but i'm going to go in the midst of all of their lifestyle and we're going to go take the gospel And so verse 9 and 10 and 11 says, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Okay, so here it looks like Paul, basically, so Paul has a vision. And it looks like Paul is starting is getting like kind of nervous. And in the midst of all that, we see that uh, God is ultimately affirming His calling that He's He's put on Paul's on uh, Paul's life. And, and so God, both ultimately, we see that God is affirming Paul that God like God is in control. And so God knows that there are people there that Paul is being sent for. Uh, that there are people that God is going uh, to save, and there are people there are people there who have not heard the gospel 
but they are the, ultimately the elect of God, and God has basically, so basically God has people in this city that he has elected that Paul needs to take the, the gospel message to. And so those people basically have been, basically they've been elected by God. It says right here that I have many in this city who are my people. And so basically Paul is, God is affirming to Paul, he's like, I've sent you there for a people. And you are basically going to take that gospel to those people. And it's basically, it's all going to work out. It's all going to be fine. Because Paul is getting nervous because basically he's left his people. He's left the Jews. He's left the synagogue. And he ultimately knows how, he knows how powerful those people are. Because he was once them. He was once one of those that went and shackled people of basically for them. And so he knows basically what's going on. He knows what's at stake. He knows what can happen. But ultimately... He has a vision sent by God. He's like, God's like, I know. He's like, I've got this. It's going to be fine. Nobody's going to attack you. There's people here that I've sent you here for. They're mine. Just go ahead and do what I've sent you for. It's all going to work itself out. All right, so, which is, once again, this is really easy to overlook. So we, we've said over and over again, right, that uh, Corinth is, a, is a, basically is a, is a pagan-filled city. And within a pagan-filled city, Basically, God just gave a message to Paul. He's like, there's people there that belong to me. He's like, basically, go. It's going to be fine. In a pagan-filled city, there's people there that are mine. Uh, they don't know it yet, but you're going to take this message to them. And so, like, if we think about that for a moment, like, that's for, for so many of us, that sounds kind of strange. Because so many times with Christianity within America, basically, we take and plant churches where we think the church is going to be accepted. Uh, we take the church and plant it like, like, they're, like, churches are planted left and right over and over again, like in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. That's the church capital of the world. There's more mega churches in Dallas than there is anywhere. It's been called the, the capital of the Bible Belt for decades, and people keep going and planting churches over there in Dallas over and over and over again. Um, people don't flock to plant churches in Austin. People don't flock to plant churches in San, uh, in San Francisco. People don't flock to plant churches in New York City. People don't flock to plant churches in Chicago. Like, you, you just name cities over and over and over again. Um, and on top of that, people aren't flocking to plant churches in the Middle East or uh, in Asia and, and, and all these other kind of places. Um, so people aren't flocking to plant churches in all those places, but we can't stop planting churches like in Dallas or in Tennessee or just Atlanta or, or the Georgia, whatever. Um, but like here we see that uh, Paul is going to a remarkably pagan-filled city, and God is assuring him that there is a work there for him to do. Um, like, this is not how we think about things. When we want to, when people go to plant a church or when they want to invite their friends to their church, um, they don't look for, they look for the people who are the cleanest. They look for the people who think like them, that share the same ideologies, that share the same theology, that share the same cultural values, that share the same political values. Um, like, they, they don't go and plant, we don't plant churches and we don't think of church the same way they think about in the scriptures. We don't think about church the same way that Paul does. Uh, we don't think about church the same way that God does. And that is a remarkably huge issue. Like, I cannot emphasize that enough, that we don't think about church the way God does. And so when we, when we withhold the church uh, from the pagans, from the atheists, from the agnostics, from the liberals, from the conservatives, whoever it is that you don't like, when we withhold the gospel from them, and we say we don't need to fill those people with our, sanctu our sanctuary with those people, or when we say we don't need to take a church to that city because it's hostile, um, that's ultimately an anti-gospel message. That's anti-kingdom. That's anti-Christ. That's anti-scripture. It's not God-honoring. It's not God-glorifying. Like, he's not pleased with your exclusivity. Um, the church is ultimately good news, is good news for the city, 
for any city, for every city, is good news for the globe. And to avoid a city, a culture, a neighborhood, somebody who has a different ideology than you um, is ultimately evil. And the enemy, Satan, marvels in that. He rejoices in that because the gospel is not being spread. The work of Christ isn't being done. And the kingdom is not flourishing. And so when we refuse a city, a neighborhood, a school, a part of town, a neighbor, a coworker, or whatever, it's ultimately an act of evil that you're doing. And we don't see that going on in Corinth, and we don't see that happening within uh, the New Testament. And so in this passage that we're looking at right now, we're seeing two more values that we talk about. Ultimately, uh, we're seeing the, or the, the value of compassion and justice that we talk about, and we're seeing our value of engaging uh, the culture. And so ultimately, Paul is doing, is he's take, he's, it's a work of compassion and justice that he says, I'm going to go to Corinth. Um, a uh, morally destructive city. It's a mark of compassion and justice that he says we're, we're going to take the gospel to the Gentiles and we're going to exist for their good. And ultimately, like we said, it's an act of, it's a, he, uh, Paul is engaging the culture just by going to Corinth. He's engaging the culture by going to the Gentiles, finding the Gentiles, um, basically planting a church out of a house there. Um, he, I mean, like there's so much going on in this, in this chapter. Like you can probably uh, go over this chapter for, for, for at least a month. And so starting in verse 12 all the way through 17, it says, But when Gallio was, was a proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If, I were, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O oh, Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaints. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves, I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal, and they all seized Sosthenes, a ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. There's a part of me that finds this passage just remarkably funny. That's because I have a weird sense of humor. Okay, so we see the Jews are really mad, right? And so they're really mad. They're trying to make an attack uh, on the apostle, on Paul, and the gospel that he's preaching. And so what's really crazy is um, basically we're seeing, like, the vision that Paul had was given from God being fulfilled. And so also what's really weird, especially if you've read chapter 17, is when the government basically comes and the government and the religious leaders come after Paul in chapter 17, he has to go before them and make a case for his words and all this other kind of ridiculous stuff. But right here, Gallio basically says, he's like, I don't care. He's like, I want nothing to do with this. This is y'all's own issues, and y'all can sort this stuff out on your own. Which is, really, which is fascinating because it's different from what happened in the chapter before, and which is also fascinating because this doesn't always happen. This is kind of an uncommon thing. Um, but this is ultimately like what we would basically want to happen like in our own society. It's a, it's a religious issue. They go for the government. The government says, we don't care. Y'all figure it out. Like, that's ultimately what all of us, I hope, want. Um, and so we see God's promise to Paul basically being fulfilled. And Paul doesn't even have to defend himself, which is, like I said, it's not normal, um, which is fantastic. So basically, Paul basically, in a vision, God, re God reassures Paul. is like, everything is going to be okay. The mission I sent you here is going to work out. And then ultimately, we see that vision being fulfilled. And he's basically watching it with his own eyes. And he doesn't even have to say a single, uh, a single word. And so, like, we see that guy at the end of it right here um, basically gets beat up, um, uh, Sosthenes. 
uh, they basically, I guess that they get mad at him and they beat, they beat him up. Um, from what we know from the scriptures, it's basically because he was, a, he was a new convert and the Jews got mad at him basically for betraying them. And so they just basically took out all their anger and fury on that, on that dude. But so like this, is the, like, this is the planning of a church. Like a church is being planted in this chapter. We've been reading about it and I've said it over and over and over again. Um, this is the planning of a church. This is ultimately the life of a Christian, not just Paul's life, but for those who are part of his core team. And if you've ever taken any interest in Christian history, you, this is not like a foreign concept. Um, it's like w- what this means to us, because we're not in a big thriving city like Corinth. Um, like Alpine is not a, a remarkably growing, like, growing city. Um, but like, like we've said before, like over and over again, and so for some of us, it probably seems kind of elementary. Um, but like, but for some of this, this seems elementary, for some of it seems basic. Um, and you might've heard this over and over and over again, but like, this is ultimately what we see in the scriptures about what the church is supposed to be about and what it means to be a Christian. What it means to be a Christian is to take the gospel to people who need the gospel, especially who have not heard the gospel. And so like, so like why Alpine, right? Alpine is like not a big city. Um, and so, but like, there's a, the playful fact that we probably all heard over and over again, right? It's like Alpine's the biggest city in the biggest county in the biggest state, right? Um, but like, Alpine's still like not a big, thriving city. But like, we're in Alpine, at least hopefully, hopefully all of us, we're in Alpine because like, we love Alpine and we love the city. Um, like, me and Emily like love Alpine, like we love the city. You don't leave Dallas for Worth to come to Alpine, like unless you have a heart for the place. Um, and so, it takes uh, basically. We, we basically ultimately decide we're going to plant a church. God's called us to plant a church. We're going to plant a church with the people that God's given us a heart for. Like, it's, it's really that simple. But Alpine is more or less, in a sense, it's, Alpine's not a capital city, but it's kind of like when you think about it, Alpine is, in a sense, like the capital of our area, right? Like, it's the big city of our space, of the tri-county area. Um, Alpine, Marfa, Marathon, Fort Davis, et cetera, like, Alpine is, like, the city in our, in our space. And so for the Big Bend area, like, this is the cultural center, the cultural a cultural spot for the, the, the tri-county area. And so like our heart has always been that we would basically be a church planning church, which is in our values, what we're talking about. Uh, like we've, it's always been our hurt, in our heart and our prayers that we would plant a church like in Marfa, Fort Davis, Trilingua, like and so on, and just kind of like explode from there uh, because that's what the church is called to be. That's what God is called to be. God's people are called to be. It's be a people of multiplication, uh, people that send missionaries, people that plant churches, like churches should be planting, church planting churches. And like if it should make a Christian excited to hear like the idea or the concept that the church they're part of in Alpine has a heart and desire to see a church pop up in Marfa, to see a church pop up in Fort Davis and Terlingua, like in all these all this area. Like when you think about it, like that's ultimately the kingdom of God in Alpine just spreading and growing out from here and going beyond and beyond and beyond. And so, like, what we know from the uh, Corinthians, uh, from uh, Acts 18 in Corinth, is that there is a heart for the person who, is, who knows nothing about Christ. There's a heart for the person who knows nothing about God, who doesn't care about God at all. And so, like, when we have this little, this, this little, our little, that little fun phrase that we've built up, uh, like, for the 3,000, like, pray for the 3,000, um, like, that idea is, like, while there's not words in the scriptures that say pray for the 3,000, but there is clearly something in the scriptures about having a heart and passion to taking Christ to people who don't know Christ. And so like the idea of pray for the 3000 is from the scriptures. And so like, like if you don't have a concern or a heart for the 3000 and you claim to be a Christian, like there is legitimately something wrong with you. Um, because like Corinth, there are not a lot of Christians in Alpine. Like in Corinth, there is a great work to be done in Alpine 
uh, like in Corinth, this, our city really, really, like, remarkably needs Christ. And like Corinth, um, this city is better off with, with, more, with more Jesus. And so, like, when we deny the gospel to people who don't act, walk, talk, or look like us, whatever it is, um, ultimately, we're saying that it's, it's, ultimately, it's, like, it's kind of like weird because you look at that person and you're like, well, that person would not be better off with Jesus when we deny that person. When we deny that person, when we deny that neighborhood, that culture, that city, we're basically saying we're not because we, we don't care or have a heart for that person and they would not be better off with Christ. Like, it doesn't make sense because, like, Marfa is better off with another church. Marfa is better off with Jesus. Uh, Fort Davis is better off with Jesus. Alpine is better off with Jesus. Terlingua is better off with Jesus and is better off with, with a church plant there. Like all of these different places, all these different cities who are remarkably all different from us. Like Marfa is different from Alpine. Terlingua is different from Alpine. Um, they're all like that city is better off with Jesus. You can't say no to that, to that question. You can't say no to that statement. Um, and so like Paul and his team, like we are here by the mercy and grace of God called to do, to do a work here. Like we're called to be instruments in the hands of the living and redeeming God here in Alpine to take the gospel to people who don't know it, who aren't, who don't, aren't concerned about it, who don't care about it, who are hostile to it, um, who think and, and act differently than each one of us. Like Paul and the apostles in the first church, like we have the exact same calling. The culture just looks slightly different. And so, as we've said before, quoting Galatians over and over again since January, the law is ultimately fulfilled when we love our neighbor. And so, like, when we refuse somebody the gospel, when we refuse somebody the, the church, we are ultimately not, not loving our neighbor, and we're basically turning our, our uh, nose away from God's law, from his characteristics, and from his values. And so, like, it doesn't matter, like, who it is. It doesn't matter who your neighbor is, your coworkers. It doesn't matter, like, whoever it is that you catch yourself having a low tolerance for. It doesn't matter if they're a Buddhist, athe Buddhist atheist, agnostics, liberals, Republicans, conservative, Democrats, even um, anybody. It doesn't matter who it is. It literally does not matter who it is. You're sent to that person. You're sent to this culture. It doesn't matter if you like it. It doesn't matter if it makes you uncomfortable. It doesn't matter if it makes you uneasy. Like, it doesn't matter if you don't like it. Like, God doesn't care about your feelings in this, in, this, in this situation. You are called and given a mission by God. And so you don't have a say in this. You just, you either, you, you're called to do this thing. Um, and so if you don't have a heart for those, uh, if you don't have a heart for those, or those around you, ultimately you disagree with the Gospels and you don't see Christ in your neighbor. You don't see Christ in your coworker. You don't see Christ in your fellow person here in Alpine and beyond. Um, if you don't have a heart for the lost, if you don't have a heart... Uh, to be a disciple of Christ, if you don't have a heart to be a disciple-making disciple, and you claim Christ, like there is a really core fundamental issue going on here. If you claim Christ and you don't want, you have a desire to mimic Christ, then there is a huge, like there's a huge issue going on. And I uh, hard, like I drastically encourage you to pray about that. I drastically encourage you to talk to me or somebody else about it so that we can pray with you. We can walk through this thing together. Um, and if you don't feel equipped for this, that's a totally different thing. Not being, feel, not feeling equipped, that's another thing. And like maybe that, maybe that's on me. And like we need, I need to to apologize and uh, ask for forgiveness on that. Um, but if you're not concerned about the things that Christians are concerned about, um, and you identify as Christian as a follower of Christ, like there's a there's a thing there's a thing there. And so like my hope and prayer for collision for all of us is that we our heart will our hearts and our lifestyle and our actions our mission will reflect what we see in the scriptures will reflect what we see in Acts. Uh, Acts, Acts 18, what we see Paul and his core team, the church he's planning, doing in Corinthians. I hope, my hope and prayer is that we will reflect that. 
Um, my hope is that, like we've said from the beginning of 2020, is that we will be the people leading on the front lines in Alpine and setting the standard for what it means to ultimately love your neighbor. And that standard has been set in the scriptures. That standard was set by Christ. Like Christ set the standard for what it means to love your neighbor. Uh, Christ set the standard for what it means to be a missionary. Christ set the standard. There's a reason we, co- the, we call them disciples is because we mock and mimic Christ. We're a little Christ. That's what Christians claim to be. And so everything was set, the standard was set by Christ. Because Christ loved his neighbor, he went to, uh, he went to the cross. He died, rose, and ascended. Uh, because Christ loved his neighbor, he, uh, he, found his, he created disciples, and, because, and he sent them, he gave them a mission. It all starts and goes back to Christ. Everything starts and goes back to the original work of Christ. And if you're, if you're Christian, you supposedly know this. And if you're a Christian, you supposedly know this, you love this, and even in fear and even in certainty, you step out in faith and you act. And so my hope is, like we said, that we will be a people that sets the standard in our city like and beyond.